0: once you let go of the feeling that you're supposed to be making something great that allows the space for greatness
1: i believe that the opposite of depression it's not happiness it's purpose i believe that every single person has something unique to contribute to the world and that's why i wanted to create a show called don't keep your day job don't keep your day job is about Thanks to Pros for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. If you want hair care that is 100% custom made for your hair, your lifestyle, and your preferences, then you got to use Pros because no one else offers this level of personalization. Get started with your free consultation at pros.com slash Also thanks to Postmates. Who could you ask to bring you red wine at 4pm and a breakfast burrito at 8am? Postmates. For a limited time, Postmates is giving you $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. Download the Postmates app and use code DREAMJOB. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. I am so happy that you're here. I'm happy you're here every episode. It means the absolute world to me. I'm well aware that there are a million things you could do with your time and it means so much that you're here. Today, you are in for such a treat. I am sitting down with the writer of my very favorite Broadway show, Dear Evan Hansen which was life-changing for me, and I saw it multiple times. And I posted something a couple days ago on Instagram, and it's similar to things that came up for me when I saw that play. Uh, That play is about a kid in high school who feels like he's not very significant. And we're going to talk about it in a couple minutes when we dive into the episode. So I will hold off on saying any more about it, but I want to tell you what I posted on Instagram the other day. I posted actually something that Morgan Harper Nichols wrote, and she said, 11-year-old you would be so proud of you. And she went on to say, she would be so proud that after everything you've been through, you were brave anyway, and you kept trusting in the process even when you were afraid. And even though there are so many things you have yet to figure out, you still choose to do your best with what you have right here in the now. And I know it's hard to see, but 11-year-old you would be so proud. And then I wrote something I want you all to remember, which is when you start to feel down on yourself and you're thinking about all the things you should have done already or you should be doing now, please take a moment and think about what I'm saying. Think about your 11-year-old self and how much you've come through since then, how much loss, how much heartbreak, how much grief, how many hard moments you've made it through With so much grace and celebrate yourself for arriving at this moment after all you've soldiered through. I know you're tempted to keep telling yourself how much you don't measure up, but seriously, you are overlooking quite a significant amount of courage, bravery, and incredible progress. It's actually stunning when I think about where I was at 11 and what I had no idea was coming. And I know for each of you, There's just been so many mountains crossed, so much, and I just wanted to stop and acknowledge that, and that's one of the reasons why I absolutely love this play, Dear Evan Hansen, and I'm so happy that this writer is here today to share his story of how he was able to make a living making work that is so important, and God, I wish every one of you had seen this play because you would appreciate this interview even more, but I think you're going to love it just the same. Um, there's so much going on with me. I had such an incredible time hosting this retreat just a week ago for the small group of women who flew in, and it was just so powerful and so fulfilling and rewarding all across the board. I've been busy creating the next Frontier of things that I will be offering to you. And I put out a questionnaire and asked you, what do you need? And it seems very clear that you guys need more support in figuring out how to monetize the thing that you love and figuring out exact steps to take to create a full career doing the thing that makes you the most happy, the thing that when you do it, time stands still. So I'm going to do just that. I will be rolling out something very soon. I am putting together a 12-week course. So stay tuned for more information on that. And I will be also doing some monthly coaching. I started doing some of that coaching for those of you who bought the book and you got the bonuses. If you go ahead and pre-order the book before May 23rd, you will be able to get Three of those bonus coaching calls. So go ahead and get the book, pre order it before May 23rd so that you can get in on three of these free coaching calls. We did one last Thursday. We're doing one again this Thursday. And those of you who pre order before May 23rd will be able to get in on this. It was really powerful. I personally had such a great time, but it seemed as though everybody who was in that session really enjoyed it. We did some really incredible work, including I asked everybody to take out a pen and write themselves a permission slip Dear Kathy, I am so sorry that I have required that you be perfect. I give you permission to do the thing you love and to do it badly. I give you permission to not be perfect. I give you permission to make things. I give you permission to show up every day and just play and do the thing you love to do. And I'm so sorry that I've told you for so long to be perfect and that you're not enough. It was pretty powerful. And that's how we started the session. And then we went on from there. And what I'm going to be doing is putting more people in the hot seat. And I already gave people uh, a form to fill out so they could tell me ahead of time what it is they need help with. And I can be reading through those before these calls so that I can dive in and help a few people. Speaking of which, on last Thursday's episode, we had Emma on the show. She was very brave and she shared her whole story. And I would love for you guys to give her some love. You can go follow her on Instagram at world within A box. Those of you might remember, I talked to Emma last Thursday and she told us about her incredible story of how she survived breast cancer. She got pregnant in the midst of chemo, in the midst of losing her hair, in the midst of not getting even her period. She somehow got pregnant and she had two beautiful kids, almost back to back. She survived this disease and she makes these exquisite works of art. You have to go check it out. And I gave her some ideas of how she could really start to get busy turning that into her life and making money doing what she loves. And this is why I'm here. I'm here to serve those of you who have a huge heart, who want to make an imprint in the world, who want to make an impact. Those of you who want to draw, paint, bake, lead yoga retreats, all of the big hearted human beings who want to figure out how to do good things in the world. Those of you who don't love the word sales, those of you who never read a marketing book, those of you who don't like the word business plans, but want to figure out how to monetize the thing you love because you know it's valuable because you want to be able to do more of it and serve the world. I am here for you. I see you. I get you. And that is why I love having conversations like the one we're having today with the phenomenal Steven Levinson, who is the Tony Award-winning playwright of a musical that I just mentioned before, my favorite one of all time, called Dear Evan Hansen. Yet again today, we will be hearing another story of how somebody like you, who wanted to do something beautiful in the world, who wanted so much to be able to make a living getting to write And didn't have a map of how to get there, found his way here. And it's so inspiring because we see week after week on this show, people doing just that, figuring out how to make a living full-time doing the things that they love. And they're not necessarily lawyers and doctors, even though that is so important and the world needs that. They are people who are makers, who have big hearts, who had something so important that they had to say that they want to express. So I'm so excited to be putting out some programs, so stay tuned for that. Really, really looking forward to getting to work with you guys and help coach you and help give you a step-by-step plan so that you can start really seeing the clarity of where you can take this and so you don't feel overwhelmed and you know exactly what to do that's going to yield results. I cannot wait. Um, in the meantime, I made you guys a build your business cheat sheet. It's like a checklist of the things that you need to start thinking about getting in order. So you can go ahead and download that. It's in the link in my Instagram bio. It's also in the link in the show notes. And let me just remind you also, if you pre-order my book before May 23rd, you will get in on three of those free coaching sessions as a book bonus. You can go to slash book and go get yourself a copy. If you get a copy for a friend, we can also get that person in on the bonus as well. So. It's such an honor to have Steven Levinson here. He's not only part of the team that brought this incredible show to life, but he also wrote the book based on the play. He's written several other plays as well. Plus, he's worked on many TV shows. In fact, he's the creator and showrunner of the new FX show, which is called Fosse Verdon. And he's writing the script for not just one, but several upcoming films that I'm really excited about. But I'll let him reveal all of that to you. Not only is his resume like this never-ending list of incredible life-changing work, but he is one of the most humble, kind human beings I've had the great fortune of talking to. So without further ado, please welcome the brilliant, extraordinary soul, Stephen Levinson. Stephen, thank you so much for being here today.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: So everyone who listens to my podcast knows that Dear Evan Hansen is my favorite show. And I've seen it four times. Oh my God. I don't like it. I'm obsessed with it. Um, (laughs) I think it literally heals human beings one person at a time. You know, it's not about the Civil War. It's not about the Holocaust. It's about one person who feels anxious and like invisible sometimes. And Mm -hmm. everybody matters. Like even if you're just like that person who lives down the street. And um, it's why I do this show. And um, I want to go back because what listeners of this show are going to be really inspired by is your particular journey. And it is no small feat to have created the work that you have. So let's go back and talk about your path.
0: Yeah, I guess it was in sixth grade. There was this moment where you could either raise your hand to be in the chorus or raise your hand to be in the musical. (laughs) and. I, for some reason, raised my hands being be in the musical. And, you know, there was something about that experience that I just, I knew that I had found the thing I was looking for, it felt like. yeah, And I loved the experience of putting on a play was and is something that I consider, you know, one of the great things that you can do. Mm-hmm. So I think I, I loved that experience and I loved acting for a long time. And I, I acted in high school and then in college, You know, I had this moment when I got to college where I was like, I don't want to be an actor. Like, I always had reservations about being an actor. I just felt like I I wanted to say something. And I I wasn't sure that as an actor, that that was my role. You know, it's more of an interpretive art, which is not to downplay it at all, because it's incredibly difficult. Right. But but anyway, I, I sort of always had this like nagging, insistent voice that was saying that I wanted to do something else, but I wasn't sure what. And, and eventually in, I guess it was between my sophomore and junior years of college, I saw a play that was put on by a bunch of non-equity actors late at night. It was called Eurydice by Sarah Rule. And for some reason, it just it moved me in a really profound way. I just felt like, oh, I want to do that. And I felt like, oh, I want to I write. And so I got back to college and I took my first playwriting class. And I just really felt, much as I'd felt earlier in my life when I'd found theater, finding writing was like, oh, this is the thing I was looking for. That's so cool. You know, and I always say this because it's so true. I was, I was lucky enough to have teachers that really inspired me and really encouraged me. They pushed me along and, and told me to keep going. And without them, I, I would not. I don't think I would have.
1: Wow, such a gift. Yeah. So what was the next thing? What was the first like, oh my gosh, this is gonna work?
0: Though <laughs> I you know, I wrote this play in college in my senior year. I wrote a play called The Language of Trees, or I started this play. And I moved to New York and for a while I was just temping. And my friend worked at this theater, Playwrights Horizons, which is an off-Broadway theater. Mm-hmm. And the person who was the literary assistant there for some reason left. And so there was this job opening and I just sort of lucked into it. Wow. And so for two years I worked at Playwrights Horizons in the literary department, basically reading plays and writing reports on them.
1: So cool. Researching basically, (laughs) researching your dream job. Exactly. It was an
0: incredible job and... What actually happened, it's like a funny story of how my first play happened was I, um, before I left college, like right after my senior year, I was still sort of between acting and writing and not sure. And I was in this, where I went to school at Brown University, they had this student theater program that they were starting in the summers where Mm -hmm. alumni playwrights would develop and do like workshop productions of their plays. And they did this play by Stephen Karam called Speech and Debate that I was in. And when that play moved to New York, I got an audition for it. I was like, I think I went on like two auditions when I moved to New York. Mm -hmm. I like really quickly decided not to do that. But so I went on this audition and I kind of knew I wasn't going to get it. I wasn't even sure if I wanted it. But the producer of that play felt really bad for um, (laughs) casting someone else and she found <laughs> out that I was a writer and she agreed to read my play. And because of that, That's she read the play and sweet. we like met about it and talked about it. And that play was The Language of Trees, which I'd written my senior year mm-hmm. and was like still working on. And they ended up producing that play. Wow. Yeah. So that was an incredible turn of events.
1: And how old um, were you then? Like 24? I was 24? really
0: young. Yeah. Wow. And I think what's interesting about that story as I can like look back on it now is I had this feeling at that moment of like, oh, well now it's, it's really easy from here on out. Like I made it. I had a play (laughs) in New York. It's always going to be like this, you know, and I quit my job and I had these like commissions from theaters. So I felt like, oh, I'm financially okay. It was sort of true. And in some senses, but not really like (laughs) I basically, after a few years, I went back to temping And I went back to needing a day job and like got a job at an SAT tutoring company in, on the admin side of things.
1: I Um, love that. Like I wasn't a tutor. I was was like the office manager,
0: (laughs) which paid less. But so I was doing that (laughs) and writing plays still, that was just the life of a writer. And I had some productions that were coming up and it all was really exciting, but it was also like, yeah, it didn't, it didn't pay the bills. Yep. So the things I really wanted to do were I wanted to write for TV and film and I really, really wanted to write a musical. I'd always wanted to write a musical. Mm. And at that moment, I guess this was in 2011, Benj, Pasek, and Justin Paul, they had this v- kind of vague idea uh, and like a, a set of themes that they knew they wanted to write a musical about. And they were looking for a playwright to write the book and kind of you know, create it with them. And so I heard a lot about them from mutual friends and they heard a lot about me from mutual friends. I listened to their demo and loved it and they'd read my plays and really liked them. And so we met and they told me this idea they had for a musical, which was basically Benj, in high school, a fellow student died of a drug overdose. And it was someone that didn't have a lot of friends was sort of an outsider But in the wake of his death, um, what was so strange to Benj was everybody suddenly was his best friend. Everybody had a story Mm. about how they were friends when they were younger or their lockers were close to each other. Everybody seemed to make it about them.
2: Hmm.
0: And Benj found that really fascinating and troubling. And and when he went to college, he met Justin and they started making musicals together. and, And he told Justin this story and Justin really responded to it. He was in high school when 9-11 happened and mm-hmm. he knew all of these kids who sort of made 9-11 about themselves. There seemed to right. be this desire to make tragedies about us and the yeah. social media spread that became a very public thing. So yeah. they knew that there was something in there that they found really interesting and they weren't sure if it was a musical. And I had no idea what I was talking about and just knew I really wanted to work with them and I found the story intriguing. And so I told them it definitely sounded like a musical. <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> like I was like, I ah, definitely well a musical. Yep. And so two weeks after that meeting, I got a job in TV and I had to move to LA. So yeah. then over the next several years was sort of back and forth to New York working on this musical with Benjamin Justin that eventually uh, became Dear Evan Hansen. I mean, it's a funny way of thinking about it now because at the time what I was really doing was I was writing for TV and I had some plays produced, but I was like also working on this musical that probably would never happen, that Hmm. like was really bizarre. And every time I explained it to people, I could tell that they were being polite when they said it sounded interesting. (laughs) You know, like it was the worst elevator pitch. We're writing a musical and it's about, a boy who kills himself and another boy who lies about being his best friend. But it's funny too. (laughs) It was like, you could just see people's eyes glaze over.
1: So what kept you going? Was it that dream? Was it the passion? Like what was it about
0: it? It took us basically five years from starting to, to when the production happened in New York, the first off Broadway production, I think was five years. And during that time, there were different things that kept me going at different moments. Sometimes it was the pressure of our producer who had, you know, been supportive of us the whole time. And, you know, she had said yes to us in the beginning and we didn't want to disappoint her. And so we had to do something.
1: Yeah. That accountability can be really helpful. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And then I do think sometimes it was like, we would go away from these really intense sessions and I would send them something and they would send me back a song and the work that they were doing was just so incredible. And I just didn't know anything else like it because of that. And because I loved these characters and this story, it was so challenging. And I, I kind of, I think I felt like I wanted to prove that it could work. And there were a lot of times where people told us, you know, he's not likable. You know, it's hard to follow this character who does such a despicable Mm. thing. I just felt so strongly Mm. that I could understand why he did this and that I did understand why people make terrible mistakes.
1: Yeah. All right. I definitely have a few more questions, but first a quick ad break. Other than your absolute best friends, who could you ask to bring you red wine at 4 p.m., sushi at 9 p.m., and a green smoothie at 8 a.m.? Postmates. I love Postmates. I use it all the time. In fact, for Mother's Day dinner, I did Postmates. We had some folks here who were vegan. So we ordered from a vegan place. And for everybody else, we ordered from a steak place. Everybody was happy it was amazing. It's basically your personal food delivery, grocery delivery, whatever kind of delivery service you need all year round. If I want a poke bowl or a yummy meal to feed my whole family, Postmates can deliver. They're the largest on-demand network in the U.S. and offer delivery from all the restaurants, grocery and convenience stores and traditional retailers you could possibly want or need. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Postmates is going to bring you what you need within the hour. It's so helpful because I don't want to spend time making trips to the store. In fact, you don't have to even know where the store is because Postmates will deliver anything to you. Download the app for iOS or Android for free. You can browse local restaurants and businesses, and you can track your delivery in real time. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery for credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use code DREAMJOB. That's code DREAMJOB for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the postmates app you can get anything you need anytime you need it download postmates and save with the code DreamJob. i'm just curious because creatively when did it switch because when you were first talking about the way that benj first mentioned the the idea and then how Justin related to it it was a little bit more about yes. Connor but then it eventually is like it's so really not about him when did it change like at what point were you like oh no this is the story. yeah
0: basically what happened was we started from this premise that that Benj had in this this kind of loose story and it felt very clearly like there was a very easy story to be told here just a kind of the, the most obvious story was Kind of satire about our generation, how narcissistic people are, and
2: mm-hmm.
0: we we just could see what that musical was. And
2: mm-hmm.
0: I think whenever you can see things fully like that, it probably means you shouldn't write it because if you already know what it is, it's like what's the point? And it oh, felt that's like that. Really to interesting. Us. You know what I mean? It felt uh-huh. like okay, we got that, but what's the the question that that we came back to again and again was. What causes people to lie about tragedies? Um What causes people to want to go on Facebook and pour their guts out? Like what is that yeah. about? So it's kind of clear to us that people were searching for some kind of connection or some kind of feeling of belonging like if you put yeah. it online if you if you share it, then somehow you're not alone, in spite of the fact that we're all so connected and we're all so easily accessible. And the world is really at our fingertips. It felt to us, at least that we were lonelier than ever. And so what we ended up doing is we just thought, well, if we're telling a story about connection, what if we made a character who's unable to connect with the people around him and somehow has the opportunity to connect by telling a little white lie that becomes bigger and bigger.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And that, and from there on, it kind of, we just sort of filled it in from there. Like that was the big wow. discovery.
1: And did you, was that your idea that he falls in love with the sister?
0: Yeah, that like slowly, you know what? That may even have been part of it from the beginning. I sat down and I wrote this like seven page kind of treatment. It's really not what the show became, but it, it may have had a sister character. Like I'm a big believer in shitty first drafts. Um, oh Yeah. And like, that's my whole process in a nutshell. And that's really what this was, was like, I just think it's so impossible to make something from nothing. You really actually first have to make something. So we had this like seven page thing that we kept refining basically. And that became like the skeleton for the story that was the musical.
1: It's so incredible. We had Seth Godin on the podcast and he said, the greatest human need is everyone wants to feel seen,
0: Mm, you know? Absolutely. And so
1: I feel like, that's what the show is. It's just yes. like a conversation about that. Yeah. And no one's talking about that. And it's what everyone is dying for someone to say like, Oh, you see me like, yeah, cool. And it's so simple. And I love love that you just gave everyone listening this permission to make something badly and just make it. But then that's where they stop because yeah. they sit down and then those feelings of inadequacy just come <laughs> pouring through because every line is not perfect. And so they just close the computer and then that's it. How do you push through and then sit back down the next day or three days later when you're looking at it going, I cannot believe this is what I wrote and I have to write it again. How do you keep pushing through that?
0: I mean, one thing I'll say is like, at least for me, it doesn't really ever get easier. It gets different. And there are certain things, you know, that do make it easier, but like that blank page is always there. So that terror never really goes away. But I think it's the advice that I heard when I was first starting out. My playwriting teacher, Paula Vogel, created this thing with her friends when she first moved to New York. They, they wanted to write and they had something to say. They just found it impossible to sit down and do it, you know. Um, but mm-hmm. the thing that made it possible was, again, this idea of accountability and responsibility to somebody yeah. else. Yep. And so they created this kind of game called the Bake Off together. They would come up with a set of ingredients. You know, the play that you're going to write has to have a kiss, a magic trick, all of these ingredients. And then you would have exactly 48 hours to use as you see fit. But like at the end of that 48 hours, you meet up and they would read their plays aloud to one another. And basically the fear of letting down your fellow writers... And showing up with nothing was the thing that, that allowed them to push through. And, and really, I mean, so what great. that exercise forces you to do is to accept the fact that you're not going to come up with something brilliant. Once you accept that, that is the most liberating feeling in the world. Because then, mm. then it's just about making do. And in my experience, that is what leads to great work, is once you let go of the feeling that you're supposed to be making something great. That allows the space for greatness.
1: Oh, God, I love that.
0: I know that I wrote so many things and started so many things. And I believe that all of that time adds up to something. You know, I believe that that time is not wasted. Yep. Every time you write something, you learn something new about yourself, about writing, And at the end of the day, the thing that you take away that that means the most is the work itself. Like you'll walk away and the thing that you'll remember is that late night when you you sat up all night trying to crack that scene and you finally did. It's like it's not those moments of, you know, quote unquote glory. It's those moments where you, you know, you had something impossible and you suddenly found a way out or you you had a revelation. Like those are the things that you really live for.
1: That absolutely makes sense. The thing is that now I want to turn the table to a different kind of question, because when someone does something over and over and over the way that you have, they do begin to have mastery over it. Mm -hmm. And you do tell me, like, what do you think if you were reading a play, you got to see it in there for you to know it's going to be good. And just your opinion, obviously. Right. But like, what are some of those things that you think make it great?
0: The thing we would always say, and it's it's a frustrating thing to hear, but it's true, is you're looking for a voice. Like you're looking Mm -hmm. for a distinctive voice. And that is such an intangible thing. But as an audience member, as a reader, you know what that is when you when you hear something that sounds different or feels different, and feels unique and fresh. And it was very rarely, I must say, like, wow, this person has a great mastery of structure. But it was really like, This person clearly has something to say and has a unique way of saying it. And I think the most frustrating thing, there's this great Ira Glass quote was like, the thing that that makes somebody an artist, the first thing that you have to have is good taste. And that's partly a curse, because what it means is that for a long time, your taste will outrun your skill. Totally. So (laughs) what you make will never be as good as your taste.
1: So frustrating. what it also means,
0: though, is like for a long time, you will copy what you see and you will not know how to do anything. But even when you try, you will just copy your influences. And that is just part of the process. And like, that's how you find your voice. And the, the first few things I wrote were so indebted to the things I was reading and the things I was seeing and loving. Mm hmm. And, you know, when I say that it's about finding a voice and that doesn't come immediately. And it's so it's best to like find those things that you really want to write about that that get you excited. I I mean, I think that's the other thing when I started writing was like, was realizing really early on, if I wasn't excited to be doing this, if I wasn't in love with what I was doing, then why was I doing it? Mm -hmm. Because it's going to be several years of working on this to get it right.
1: Yeah. That's another question that a lot of creative people ask when they write in listening to this show. Mm. You know, if, if I've been working, trying to be an actor for seven years and it hasn't happened, do I give up? You know, at what mm. point is it a, a perseverance and a stamina yeah. issue versus like you're not cut out for it?
0: God, it is really the hardest. It, it is the hardest question in the world. I mean, I think you have to f- figure out what you love about what you're doing. The thing is, this is your life. I think there's a temptation to, to look at our lives, like an IMDB page, you know, or like a Wikipedia Mm -hmm. page, but like, Mm -hmm. that's not how it's going to feel. You know, you Mm -hmm. can have all the credits and awards in the world, but like your day-to-day life is, is your life. That, that is literally what your life is, is what it is every day. So do you like sitting down and writing? Do you, do you get some satisfaction out of it? Then keep doing it. Like, and if you don't, then maybe not. You know, and then I think it's also about just like feeding your creativity in the ways that you need to. And yeah, Annie Dillard, who's an incredible writer, I love her. Do you, I, I read love, his books. I love yes. her. She has a book about writing, but she has this quote in it where she says, "The way you spend a day is literally how you spend your life." And I thought, I, I oh mean, it's God. like that's like a Zen koan because so it's good. so simple and obvious, and yet like, oh right. The way I spent today is the way I'm spending my life. This is my life, you know? So it's like, it's a good thing to think. There is no future point where you're going to be able to look back and it will all have been worth it or not. Like it's, it will just continue to be day to day. So.
1: Yeah. Would you encourage people who are pursuing being one eighth as successful as you, if they're not getting commissioned, would you say like, then make the damn thing like, throw the play up yes. do it anyway well, like do that the get goal? together with
0: your friends and create a bake-off or just create a, a writing group where you're like okay every week somebody's gonna bring in a new play because this is what the writers groups that I was in were like and
1: cool.
0: you knew that in two months I said I was gonna come in with a play and like I better do it because otherwise I'm gonna feel yeah. stupid <laughs> and it's like it feels so forced and arbitrary but it's important. It's important to to create deadlines and structure. Gets you
1: into the momentum. And Absolutely. It's, I love when people are like, I'm a writer. And then you're like, when's the last time you wrote? And you realize this person's really been a barista for eight years. Yes. Like they haven't written anything since high school. So, um,
0: and I think there's something really liberating in knowing that you can write something really fast. Because I believe that people can. I think you can write a play really, really, really quickly. I don't think it's going to be great. I love that but I think you can do it. It's going to take years possibly to make it great. But like, to me, the hardest thing ever is the first draft. And once I have that first draft, no matter how bad it is, I'm at least somewhere.
1: I love what you're saying, because you're like, let it be easy. Like, okay, yes. so it's going to take respect for the process yes. and the reverence for something brilliant. But like, just
0: go. And it's not I'm making it sound easier than it is. That's a horrible feeling to sit down every day and be like, oh, I hate this so much. Nothing about this is good. <laughs> but what you discover as you go, I mean, this is the sort of secret that you don't allow yourself to know, but it's like, it's never actually terrible. Like, Some things are terrible. Some things are bad. Mm -hmm. Something in there is maybe Mm kind of good and something is going to be the clue. Like I sometimes think about first drafts as like a crime scene where I'm just sort of spewing (laughs) out whatever is coming up. And then I go back and I see all of these clues that I've left myself, you know?
1: Oh, interesting. Like, oh,
0: that's so weird that I did that. That makes me realize this character is, you know, whatever I wrote without thinking.
1: Yeah, that is kind of magical. And what's also interesting about this process is I feel like even when you feel like it's ready, it's still not. No. You can still change it. Like I'm, I'm sure when you guys put the show up, there were still four things you're like, Oh my God, why yes. can I change? So it's always the next best iteration. There is no arrival where yeah. it's like, it's there. It's perfect. It's done. Like it's continuously a process. So at some There's point, a you have to, down moment. yeah. And that's it. There's yeah. a point where you, I guess, have to just come to terms with like, I'm going to be okay being uncomfortable. Yeah, that's it. All right. I'm so excited to get into more of this. But first, just a quick thanks to our sponsor. So lately I've been seeing lots of services for custom hair care, but part of me is like, is this just another gimmick from the beauty industry so I have to buy another shampoo and another conditioner? With big brands, probably, but Pros is the new custom hair company that is doing it right. This is the only hair care that's 100% custom made for your hair the way you live, and your personal preferences. You can stop with those off-the-shelf products that only sort of work. Prose formulas use the proper natural premium ingredients to treat your unique hair needs. Go to pros.com slash dreamjob and complete a free consultation that covers everything. I took the consultation and it was really interesting because they ask about things like my diet, workout routine, the climate in my location, water quality, They're really incorporating all these factors to make the right masks, shampoos, and conditioners for your specific needs. You can even customize your products to be vegan, silicone-free, gluten-free, or fragrance-free. They've got over 50 billion possible combinations, so you know your Prose products are truly one of a kind. They're designed specifically for you, made in New York, and shipped right to your door, which I also love because I don't always have time to run to the store to pick up some extra hair products. No one else offers this level of personalization. Get started right now with your free consultation at prosecom dreamjob. That's prosecom dreamjob for your free consultation. By the way, those of you listening, um, Stephen has so many exciting things going on right now. Why don't you tell us what you're doing?
0: Um, well, I have this series that I created with Tommy Kale that is on FX right now called Fosse Verden, about Bob Fossey and Gwen Verdon.
1: I cannot believe you created it. It's so I cool. Did. I know. It's my first,
0: it's the first time I've done that. And I'm very proud of the work.
1: Congratulations. Thank you. Oh it my was, gosh. Um, how Awesome.
0: I, I mean, the team was just so incredible. And, and uh, these actors are just phenomenal. And so that's that's on right now. And I was just saying to someone, it's really strange, because it's it's only eight episodes. It's a limited series. And it's it's a really weird feeling, because you work really, really hard. And it takes forever. And then it only it airs over eight weeks, and then it's over.
1: That's a crazy feeling. Yeah. You're also scripting Lin-Manuel's directorial debut of Tick, Tick, Boom, right? Yes,
0: I am. Which has been really fun and really exciting. I love that.
1: How cool to work on the Jonathan Larson project. How amazing.
0: Well, and that is, I I have to tell you, like, that is a really humbling experience. And just, Mm. we went to the Library of Congress, Lin and I, because they have his collection of papers and like a lot of that collection Is just rejection letters, like one after the other.
1: For those of you listening who don't know, who we're talking about, Jonathan Larson created Rent, and then he died suddenly, like two days before it opened. He died died of a brain
0: aneurysm the night of the final dress rehearsal, the day before. I can't even uh, the first preview of his first real like show in New York. Oh my god! It's just a great example of someone who. He believed so ferociously in what he was doing and and mm. he was so frustrated by the fact that nobody could see it, but he was right, you know, which is so tragic, you know, like he was really doing something different and new and, and it is a true shame that people didn't see that, uh, until they did.
1: And boy, did they, boy, did they, yeah,
0: but Yeah, so I'm doing that and um, I'm also working on this other musical movie that's about this strange phenomenon called the industrial musicals Mm
2: -hmm. made
0: from like the 1950s to the 1980s. And and basically from in that time period, companies used to, um, for their big sales conferences and yearly staff meetings, they would actually commission real musical theater composers
1: to create
0: original musicals. About that huh. year's products And those <laughs> musicals were only Ever performed for the employees Of the company But they were huge productions These huge lavish productions And a lot of actors had their starts In those shows like Martin Short And Sarah Jessica Parker Was in a few of them as a little girl um, And they were oh a big thing gosh. And then they kind of just disappeared And And so it's a really fun, strange, funny world
1: When do you sleep? Do you have like 36 <laughs> hours in a day?
0: It's a good question. You're
1: also writing the script for the Dear Evan Hansen movie. That's right. Is that yes. a thing? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I am. that's still in the very oh, early God. stages, but we are we're doing it. So it's happening.
1: That's amazing. So I'm just curious, because we started talking about Dear Evan Hansen, and obviously it's a, such a smash success. What is your favorite scene in the show?
0: Um, well, I guess there are two of them. I, I love this moment in act two with Evan and Connor alone on stage when Evan basically says, I want to be done with it. I'm done with it with Uh, lying. And and Connor talks him into not being done with it. Mm -hmm. I just love, I love watching that scene. I love like what actors do with that scene because Connor is really his best friend in that moment. And his best friend is saying, you can't tell the truth because everyone will hate you. And it's like, it's such a weird, twisted (laughs) moment, Um, but it's really heartbreaking to me. And then the other moment is words fail, which comes not long after. The moment when Evan is alone on stage and everybody has left and he sings the sort of second part of the song. We were in DC doing an out of town, our like first production of the show when that song was written. And I just remember like being upstairs in the rehearsal room of the theater while the show was going on the preview was happening with Benjamin and Justin like trying to crack that moment and when Justin played like the reprise of waving that happens in that song like he starts mm-hmm. singing waving through window again like I was just yeah. it's one of those moments that I'll, I'll never forget
1: yeah I'm already crying right now again like <laughs> because um it's I love that song so much yeah. because we are all so judgmental. Yeah. It's so easy to be judgmental of other people. Yeah. But one thing that my mindfulness teacher years ago said to me is she wanted to be able to sit down to tea in the morning and know that she could invite every part of herself. Mm. Like the parts that self-sabotage, the parts that are brave, the parts that yeah. don't tell the truth, the parts that don't want to see the reality yeah. and just invite every part of herself to tea and uh, when he does that and speaks those words and says all of the things that you all wrote so beautifully it's like this part of you that allows yourself to let go of the shame and be like we are all this person yes, you know yes. we, we wanted it to be true and maybe guess what maybe you wanted it to yes, be true yes, too right. like let's take away the, the self-righteous judgment yeah. like we are all broken and isn't that also what makes us whole like it's like and, and I'm gonna own yeah. it like I'm gonna stand here and own that and be that vulnerable and tell you that I lied and I don't have it all together and I'm not a bad person no, like I, I mean
0: he's not a hero and, and I, I think mm-hmm. some it's difficult for some people to, to see that and, and they want to understand, is he good or bad? Am I supposed to like him? Am I supposed to dislike him? And I just feel like he's us. He's not who we want to be necessarily, but I think he's who we are at times. You know, we do bend the truth and we do, you know, find ourselves taking the easier way out because we don't want people to see who we really are. And it's not about whether we like him or want to be him. It's like that that's more that's closer to who we are than we might want to believe.
1: Yeah. And there's something about when we allow ourselves to be who we are with, with all of our bruises and scars, it gives other people permission to tell the truth about what they are. And, then we actually can start a conversation. You know, we can actually yeah,
0: absolutely. see like, each
1: other for the first time and stop pretending. And that's where all part of that loneliness comes in, in social media. It's like, I'm going to show you the perfect life that I don't live. Yeah. And and then who are you actually seeing? No one. Because yeah. there's so much shame around the fact that my life is very complicated and very normal. Yeah. Just like right, yours. Right.
0: No, exactly. So, and I think, especially for young people, I think something I, I realized in doing the show and talking to people is like, a lot of young people that were raised on social media, like they don't actually know that people are lying on social media. They think they're the only one. Oh my God, that's so, so scary. It's like, no, everybody is making up that they're happy, <laughs> like, you know, or, or that they are yeah. leading these perfect lives. Like, we're all struggling, we all have ups and downs. And, yeah. And that is very liberating.
1: Everything you're doing is literally fixing the planet. Ah. Um, is there like a where can people find you?
0: There's a tour of Dear Evan Hansen. Um, that is out now right. uh, barred <laughs> right. story through the country and yep. if people haven't seen it it's a really incredible company
1: oh the whole thing is just so good thank you for giving us all of this time you're so thank you so special much. and sparkly and talented oh,
0: well thank you this has been really amazing
1: well that was amazing it is such a blessing to get to have a conversation with someone like that what a gifted person okay here are some of the takeaways from steven number one We are all seeking connection. Number two, it's impossible to make something from nothing. So go ahead and write the messy first draft. Number three, find a community who can keep you accountable and have your own bake-off. Number four, once you let go of the need to make something great, you allow space for greatness to come in. Number five, it's not the moments of glory that are meaningful, it's the work, the moments when you find a way out of the impossible. Number six, find out what you love about what you do. Number seven, life is not a Wikipedia page. Your life is what it is actually every day. Number eight, there are parts of us that bend the truth, that want to take the easy way out, that are imperfect. We might not want to recognize it, but accept all of those parts. They are what makes us all human. I love hearing from you guys. If you want to connect, the best way to do that is on Instagram at kathy.heller. Kathy's with a C. You could also come join our awesome Don't Keep Your Day Job Facebook group, which is a very supportive community where we actually encourage people to share their links and post what they're doing. So I highly recommend coming on over and joining that. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, please go ahead and do that. It helps us tremendously if you leave a review. And if you like this episode or any other episode, take a second right now and share this with a friend, share this with someone who you believe in, share this with someone who's been feeling really down, share this with somebody who you feel has something they so much want to do, but are feeling really overwhelmed about it. Go ahead and share this link. I love you guys. I'll leave you with a song of mine and I will talk to you on Thursday. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit authenticshows.com.
2: If dreams are made of paper, let's make paper mache. We'll build a world together with our hands. And if hope Grand. nothing lasts forever so we're all a little scared but we're not giving up that easy no we wouldn't dare hey hey mr sun don't you set tonight walk inside